Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, I'm Kaiser Bohr. Welcome to the maiden voyage of the Seneca podcast, the first in what we hope will be a continuing series of podcasts focusing on China, on politics, international relations, economics, business, the internet, culture, and just about anything else under the sun. The plan here is to have some of the usual suspects from China's Anglophone blogosphere come on as guests, uh, plus special guests who possess that rare thing, actual domain knowledge and expertise. So, first off, we'd like to thank David Lancashire and uh, the folks at Pop-Up Chinese, which is a terrific online Chinese language learning service, my personal favorite, based right here in Beijing. Uh, they've very generously given us use of their studio, where we're sitting right now, and uh, we'd also like to thank them for hosting the podcast here on their site. Joining me in the studio today are Jeremy Goldcorn, longtime Beijing resident and publisher of the blog Danway.org. Jeremy uh, will be a regular here, hosting the show as well. Also with me here in Beijing is Bill Bishop, a tech entrepreneur, founder of MarketWatch, former interpreter, and by my lights, the best English language Twitter user to follow on China. He tweets on, in the gnome de tweet, newbie. Newbie, of course. Uh, Bill uh, recently began blogging again also at digicha.com, D-I-G-I-C-H-A.com. So welcome, guys. How are you doing? Thanks, Kaiser. Great. Thanks, Kaiser. Good to be here. So um, this first podcast, actually, not surprisingly, is going to be devoted to the whole saga of Google in China with the aim of uh, sort of talking about some of the bigger issues surrounding the whole thing. But first, let's, I guess, catch everyone up on what's happened just in very recent times. On Tuesday afternoon this week, it appeared that the, uh, the other shoe had fallen, that all searches originating in China on Google.com.hk and other Google sites we're triggering a reset, no matter how innocuous the search words. You guys want to tell me what you think is actually going on here? Bill, you want to take a crack at that? Well, I think the media tech blogs reported that there was this RFA, three letters added into the search query string, which apparently at some point triggered something in the uh, Chinese filtering system, although that happened a week ago and it only happened yesterday. So, so RFA, of course, stands for, for Radio Free Asia. Right, so right. maybe it was a coincidence I think like a lot of us who lived in Beijing for a while, I think we're sort of, we no longer believe in coincidences. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, until someone can get a comment from the people at the Great Firewall Center, I don't think anyone really is going to know what's going on. And sure. they're not known for their frequent commentary on, right. on right, censorship right. issues. It's pretty opaque. So it's anyone's guess, as you're saying. Now, Google actually did come out and make a statement, right? Uh, a couple of people that we know, Tanya Brannigan, uh, the, the New York Times, they all spoke to to Google, and they were told, I think... If, if I'm understanding it correctly, that this was sort of a glitch, that it was triggered by, well, uh, by this, this addition of those letters into the search string. But then they later came out and said that that wasn't the case. I think there were two separate statements, right. and the later right. one seemed to indicate that the, that wasn't the case. Because they, so they did it a week seem... ago, and it, 
only yesterday did it start causing them problems. Okay, right. so the mystery deepens. Uh, in any case, as of right now, uh, it seems that it's once again available. You're able to do at least the the innocuous searches on on Google properties outside of China and not hit that that reset. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. All right. Um, I guess most of us have probably read now the MIT economist Huang Yasheng's piece, uh, his op-ed in in the Washington Post a couple of days ago. He notes that, or he he makes the case anyway that the the cause of internet freedom would have been better served in China if Google had stayed. That、uh, the internet in China is actually quite vibrant and surprisingly free, well, much more free than Sergey Brin depicts it anyway.、Um, he cites the Cases that I think you know we're all familiar with, Deng Xiaoping and Zhou Jiugong, as、uh, examples of a netizenry that's been empowered. W- what do you make of this argument? Do you think there's anything to it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think I've always been saying that the Chinese internet is more vibrant and freer than a lot of people in in the West give it credit for.、Um, but what I don't know is、uh, if this is a, a su- sufficient grounds for saying that Google did something wrong by pulling out, because. Um, to me, there there is、uh, one very noticeable fact that is、uh, since January, when Google first raised this issue, you can see in state-owned media and in、uh, government statements an explicit reference to censorship. In the past, this was very very difficult to hear from、Absolutely. government officials. Absolutely, yeah, it was just that it was open, right?、Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's been some progress, definitely by. By raising at least the issue, now they're admitting that that this is something that they do, and they're speaking sort of in defense of their policy. Exactly. Right. A lot of people actually were critical about Huang's、uh, piece. He seemed to have sort of gotten off track. He started off、uh, saying something that he didn't, a thought that he didn't quite follow through on. So, what actually does Google have to do with this increased vibrancy of the Chinese internet? Do you think that Google really was a contributing factor to to the、uh, to what we've we've described to this sort of Uh, rise of the internet as a de facto public sphere. I'm actually not sure because one of the things Google never did here was offer things like BBS services or anything like a like a Baidu High kind of or a QQ kind of personal space. Not even right? blogging, right? They don't even blogging because they wouldn't. They didn't want to take any personal information. So all I think all of these things that you're talking about, like the Deng Xiaoping case, you know, they all occurred on BBSs where Google maybe indirectly is a player through their investment in Tianya, but otherwise. I'm not sure that that they actually played much of a role in that. Right, they were an investor in Tianya, or they still are. They still are a stakeholder in Tianya. Jeremy, we keep talking about this Deng Xiaoping case. I think it's probably a good idea if we explain a little bit about what what the background of that is. So this was one of the sort of landmark cases of internet activism in China that、uh, happened last year. Basically, a,、uh, a a woman who worked in a hotel.、Uh, Was、uh, doing some laundry next to the sauna, as I understand it, or the the, the massage room, and she was molested, and、uh, she was frightened of being raped by some kind of provincial government official. And、um, she fought back, and she ended up stabbing him, killing him. And she was、uh, arrested, and looked like she was going to get done for murder. And and the the internet, the Chinese internet, was outraged because they felt that this was a corrupt government official who tried to rape her, and it was self defense. And most people attribute the internet activism, the internet outrage, to the fact that she got off without any punishment. Right, right. I think there's there's pretty little doubt that it was the outrage and that is Henry that actually helped her get off the hook. Pretty、yeah. much scot free, as I understand it. Although, Bill, you've seen just in very recent days,、uh, I remember you forwarded me something from your your RSS feed. 
that suggested uh, that there's now sort of a crackdown on. Well, the there NHL. was a, a women's law center affiliated with, with Peking University that four four groups actually at the right, right but one of them specifically that apparently has lost its affiliation with with, with Peking University. Unclear exactly why the Taijing article's implicate or the Taijing's article implication was that uh, it may have had something to do with their fairly vigorous activism in defense of Deng Yijiao when the case happened. So, but so, again, I, uh, I think that's more of an inference and speculation at this point. Just just hopping back very quickly to what we were just talking about. Do you think, Jeremy, that Google actually was contributing to this vibrancy of the Internet? Do you think that it had more than a just sort of psychological effect of uh, giving the netizenry a sense of connectedness to the global Internet? I think it's a psychological effect. Um, I, I think in the, you know, in the long t- term, sure, having a major global player operating here definitely contributes to the vibrancy, at least, of the Internet economy. But I, I, I think Bill is right that uh, the cases that uh, were mentioned in that article, Google had nothing to do with. And the, the Internet culture uh, of activism in China has very much grown up on, on Chinese websites. And look at another example, right, that great um, match, Machime video about um, the war of Internet addiction. Yeah, Machine The Wang right. Zhanzhong, where... Uh, uh, you know, that was all about gaming and World of Warcraft and, and actually really very little to do with Google. Let's, a little let's bit like, about uh, – Again, let's, let's, let's fill this in a little bit. Uh, in January, I believe it was, there was a, a user-generated video that went up onto Tudo and on Yoku and a few other sites uh, that was made by players of World of Warcraft uh, led by a guy who uses the, um, the nom de guerre uh, – what, corn dog? Is that correct? Sexy corn. Sexy corn. Singai Yumi. No relation. Singai Yumi. Oh, he's your brother. <laughs> So we have Jin Yumi and Sexy Yumi. Uh, well, anyway, so what, what they did was they put out a, a an hour-long machinima, which is, is an animation that or a, a movie that's sort of shot within the World of Warcraft environment, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's using all the in-game footage. Right, and I think what was interesting about this is that it just sort of uh, used this whole war against Internet addiction that's being waged as sort of uh, a way to attack... Uh, Censorship in general, right? right. Well, it was it was the war of inter- the war against internet addiction, as well as the uh, problems that World of Warcraft had. Uh, it was actually you know taken offline for about three two two and a half months last summer. That's right. Over some licensing re re licensing issues in China, and so it was a very uh, it it was just spent you know looked at the year and year in history the year in the history of the Chinese internet in two thousand nine, and all talked about a lot of these incidents. And I'm not sure was Google even really part of it. No, no, Google really wasn't mentioned much at all in there, or if, if at all, if, by my recollection. If anyone wants to read more about this, there's a terrific post. This is actually where I first learned about it on Bill's blog, digicha.com. Uh, he did a great write-up. There's also a write-up that I did along with my colleague at Yoku uh, about this, and you can find that on buzz.yoku.com. Anyway, enough You're not going to plug my site? <laughs> Have you written about it? Have you? I think you... Yeah. Uh, I think, yeah, actually... Let's Danway, move on. It's fine. <laughs> okay, yeah, right, right. A lacuna on Danway, a rare lacuna. Um, do you buy this idea, anyway, that, that, that Google, in, in their decision to decap, has, in some sense, abandoned the Chinese Internet user, uh, left them sort of high and dry? What's what's the impact of their actual leaving on the internet user, the, the average internet user in China? I must say, I, I I find it difficult to have sympathy with that point of view. I mean, if the Chinese internet users feel abandoned, then go out on the streets and protest internet censorship. It's not Google's job to defend them. Right. Um, you know, have they abandoned them? Well, they they faced a really tough environment. It's horrible doing internet business in China. Absolutely. You know, I don't blame them for leaving. 
And again, you know, the majority of Chinese internet users abandoned Google already because they use Baidu. Well, or either right? they I mean, abandoned so, or just so, not started, or using never it started all, using right? it. So you know, it's it's. I think. I mean, I, I think my circle of friends I've known in Beijing on and off for the last twenty years who are you know they're not the quote intelligentsia, but they're educated, successful guys. You know, I had a couple of dinners with them last week, and a couple of them didn't even know they were gone. And the ones who did said, "Who cares?" So we just used Baidu. <laughs> right. and, and so honestly, I, I'm, I'm, you know, other than a lot of the people on Twitter, right? So um, I'm not sure how you know people have a lot of other stresses in their lives in China. They have a lot of things going on, lots of opportunities, lots of challenges. And you know, Google leaving isn't necessarily a good thing, but I'm not sure it's something that a lot of people wake up worrying about now. Right, and I, I mean, do you get the sense that it's been sort of played up a little more? I mean, the impact has been played up more in the Western media than uh, it reflects the reality here. I, I remember uh, in the Guardian podcast the other day, Jeff Jarvis, uh, who is a, a noted proponent of internet freedom, uh, said in in so many words. I think his his exact words were, uh, "If Google didn't do this, it would never change." Referring to the Chinese government and its 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 views on censorship. Well, you know, in the same podcast, Jeff Jarvis said. Uh, something along the lines of, I don't mean to compare China to apartheid South Africa, but at some point, because of sanctions, the South Africans didn't have Coke, and now uh, the Chinese won't have Google. Now, I was—I grew up in apartheid South you Africa sure at the height yeah. of the sanctions, and we were drinking Coke. So Jeff Jarvis is somebody whose information is not to be trusted. Yeah, okay. and, and also on that point, I mean, I, I just think, um, you know, well, we're, I guess we're being pundits here, but the rise of this punditocracy, I mean, the reality is... Um, you know, you look at the history of China and the history of the Western interaction with China. When has any Western person, government, or or corporation ever been able to change China? Right. Right. And the idea, the simple idea that somehow Google can change China, I think, is is rooted in some pretty deep Western arrogance. They should read Jonathan Spencer's book on that subject. Right. right. To I think it's China. called yeah. to change China. Yeah. Right. 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 So. Or <laughs> they could read Jim Mann's book on the subject on China fantasy. Uh, what about this 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 idea that Google uh, was intent on changing China in the first place? Was that really their goal when they came here four years ago? Were they trying to win? Was the object of their engagement the Chinese government or was it the Chinese internet user? Well, I remember when uh, they first came to China, the Wall Street Journal had a story where they they had said they had had seen an internal presentation, um, internal Google executive presentation, where they talked about one of the slides specifically addressed that issue and said that they hoped that. By engaging, you know, they were they 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 really believed in the engagement argument that they hoped that by engaging with the Chinese internet and Chinese Chinese, Chinese users that they would help expand expand the sort of the civil uh, help expand civil society in China and help help push more towards freedom in China. So I think you know it's clear they didn't say that publicly. They didn't tell the Chinese government. But I think internally that was at least one of the justifications that they were used to allow them to come in and make this. Make this compromise so that they were they came in and agreed to filter censor results. Right. I also think I mean no matter how cynical one may be about Google's motivations, I mean a company that has a motto uh, such as "Don't do evil" certainly uh, is going to have ideas about uh, uh, its place in the world as a force for good, uh, not just as a profit generating machine. So I, I don't see why we should doubt that they had ideas that this would help. Right. China will change China. No, and Google, you know, when Google went public, you know, they, they, they set up, they have a dual class shareholding structure. They're very explicit in their prospectus that, that they were not always going to run the company for maximum profit. So, they, you know, they've, from, from the day, day they became public, they made it very clear that they're not going to act, they, they don't want to necessarily act like the normal, uh, a normal corporation. They're right. going to take Focus things other than profit into exactly. consideration when right. they run their business. 
nowadays, um, I mean, I think obviously we, we agree that Google was not set up to conduct diplomacy as a sovereign state, uh, in spite of what Jeff Jarvis says uh, in that podcast. I think he made reference to the idea that Google is acting as a sovereign state, defending the internet against the encroachment Does of others. Does Google states. have a military? Uh, I, I believe they do, yes. I think it's, it's ranked like third largest in the world after North Korea. In any case, uh, the other, I mean, one, one of the issues that I, I think, I, well, I've been raked over the coals for having said this in the first place. I've been now made the, uh, the, the victim of attacks by trolls on the left, uh, on, that is on the, the American left, the Chinese right. Uh, but I, I wonder, I, I, one of the things that, that, that's been really eating at me, is it beneficial for the cause of internet freedom in China to have the imprimatur of the American government on efforts to promote, say, circumvention technologies. We know that nine days after Google's January 12th announcement, Hillary Clinton came out and made what she billed as a major policy speech, where she made clear in, in no uncertain terms that internet freedom is going to be a major plank of the Obama administration's foreign policy. Give me some of your thoughts on this. Do you think that, that the cause of internet freedom in China is actually well served by the timing and the content of Hillary Clinton's speech? Uh, should the U.S. actively be uh, funding things like circumvention technologies? Uh, I mean, they've earmarked, what, $35 million to support Internet freedom. Do you think this is actually beneficial? Is it working at cross-purposes? What are the possible uh, pros and cons of, of this? I think that um, the timing of Hillary Clinton's speech did not help Google um, coming nine days after the announcement because Clearly, the the Clinton speech, Secretary Clinton speech, and the the reference to Google, I think, played right into the sort of the 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 thinking of some of the more security focused elements in the Chinese government, who who clearly and have explicitly say that they see for, foreign plots and foreign threats over the internet, you know, everywhere. And so this just exactly she just articulated exactly what they think. Uh, in terms of the U.S. government, I think that you know, as part of our long history of foreign policy, you know, the U.S. government has always pursued or said that we pursue um, a foreign policy that includes a focus on expanding freedom and democracy and human rights. And so sure. I think her speech fits very much into uh, core American values, core American foreign policy investment. values and foreign policy rhetoric. Um, will it help in China? I don't think it will hurt. Um, will it have much of an impact? Um, you know, it's hard to say. I think that in terms of circumvention technologies, why should the government, I mean, the government will fund it and, and, but why aren't, I mean, why wouldn't Google or other U.S. tech companies try and fund this themselves? Because it's not it like seems like it's funds, an all, right? but it doesn't have to be directed to China. There are plenty of countries that offer, that have filtering or censorship of the internet. And why wouldn't it be in the industry's interest to have some sort of consortium that just provides these tools that allows people in any country and people in any country who want to access the internet the ability to do it. In, in fairness, the State Department didn't say that these tools were developed specifically for China. Okay. They, were, they were really for any uh, internet censoring country. Jeremy, what do you think of this? Do you think that there's... I think I broadly agree with Bill, although I, I don't know if that it doesn't do any harm. I mean, Chinese people individually and the Chinese government even more so, I mean, they hate being lectured um, by the West. Um, and it does very much come across, I think, as a lecturing tone. I, I probably have more sympathy for this kind of thing than the average American, partly from you know growing up in apartheid South Did Africa. Did we lecture you? Uh, you do quite frequently. I, 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 that's a fair point. I, I should have I clarified. I, I, actually yeah, agree, I, with, there, I agree you know. with Jeremy's um, point. 
You know, I mean, uh, just to say, I, you know, apartheid was repugnant to me and my family were liberals. They never supported in any way. And there was always the idea that we should run away and get out because the country was evil. Nonetheless, when we went abroad and we had people from Sweden or England or the United States lecturing us about apartheid, our first reaction was, well, you know what, sod off. What do you know about our place? Because, uh, you know, often the people giving us a lecture weren't even that well informed. So I, I can really sympathize with the Chinese reaction of annoyance at this lecturing right. tone. And I think, though, in terms of circumvention technologies, I think, again, I think if, we, if the U.S. government is going to pursue this, I think it's in the most effective way will not be to specifically target any countries. And, and to so it doesn't necessarily look like it's lecturing. It's just there are these tools out there. Here they are. You know, the problem the U.S. government has potentially, and as, as any government, there's always a level of hypocrisy. While Secretary Clinton is pushing this agenda and talking about circumvention technologies, the U.S. government is spying on WikiLeaks and trying to take them offline. And, you know, Wiki, WikiLeaks, you could argue from a libertarian perspective, is sort of one of the last bastions of true uh, freedom of information on the Internet. At least some people would make that argument. Right. I, I, I have trouble myself comparing the two. I mean, China's regime of censorship. No, no, I'm not, so I'm, not, and don't, I'm not complaining to you. I'm not comparing it with China. My point, though, is that the U.S. government, to say we support these circumvention technologies to help people have free access to information, on the one hand. On the other hand, having the U.S. government trying to take offline certain websites like WikiLeaks, well, really potentially, you know, there, there's, it leaves the U.S. government open to, I think, a fairly easy attack by, say, people in China and say, look, look how hypocritical you are, sure. which is one way the government will then be able to, I think, discredit that argument, at least through their censorship, censorship regime in, inside the country. So assuming that we're all for the, uh, the, the expansion of Internet freedoms in China, and I think we, that's a fair assumption, just from a strategic point of view, one of the things uh, that, that, that's, that's very troubling to me, I know that I've talked to you guys both individually about this, is uh, the very real possibility that the Falun Gong is going to get some of this money uh, for you know to 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 fund uh, whatever new iteration of Freegate is is now in the works? Uh, Freegate, of course, was one of the more popular circumvention tools that was used in China that was developed very you know by an ardent Falun Gong supporter. Uh, it's got the fingerprints of Falun Gong all over it. Do you think? I mean, the, my my concern is like in in the first round of funding that went off. There was a lot of criticism that, that came from uh, the Falun Gong itself and from some of its friends on the Hill, suggesting that uh, there had been sort of discrimination on religious grounds against this organization. Now, I don't believe in discriminating on, against anyone on religious grounds, certainly, but what's, what's going to happen in the Chinese popular uh, imagining when uh, Falun Gong's fingerprints are all over? Well, I mean, I, I, from what I, I can tell, a lot of people both in China and outside of it already believe that Falun Gong gets a lot of money from the U.S. government or the CIA. I think that's quite a popular belief already. So it will encourage that kind of belief. And, you know, to be honest, their, their funding is quite mysterious. One does wonder. Right. No, I mean, I, frankly, you mean Falun Gong's funding? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I think that it would be a mistake to give the Falun Gong money for circumvention of technologies in China at this point. I think that um, the U.S. can find other groups to whom to give that money. Giving it to Falun Gong, I mean, China, the Falun Gong is one of those nuclear issues of the Chinese government. You know, the U.S. government has a very broad relationship with China. We have a lot of challenges in that relationship. And I think that we can achieve the same ends in terms of distributing circumvention technologies without necessarily sticking a finger in, the China, in China's eyes, which is effectively what the U.S. government is doing by giving money to Falun Gong for circumvention technologies. Well, it's, it hasn't been done yet. It hasn't been yet, but I think yeah, it's, we have a very important relationship. We have a lot of challenges. It's a very difficult time in the world, and we have to pick our battles. And giving money to a crazy cult run by a guy who believes in 
aliens and things is not maybe the best use of money. <laughs> Are you suggesting, because I, I mean, part of me thinks instead of giving the money, the U.S. government should actually audit them first. Yeah, that would be nice. I'd like to see that. I mean, we do that with all the other loony cults, don't we? So actually, in the, this whole rush to, to praise Google, and I think, you know, much of what they've done is certainly worthy of some praise, I worry that actually people in, in the West aren't having a serious discussion that I really feel needs to be had about China's whole rationale for censorship, why it still seems to resonate with so many people within China, makes sense to so many people within China. I've actually met very few who think that the government should just simply stop trying to plug all the holes or should give up entirely on keeping the floodgates from flying open. I mean, should we be encouraging dropping a, 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 a dam buster? Or do you think that there's a case to be made for gradualism? What, what's happening in your mind? I know, Jeremy, you've, your position is hardened, I think. Uh, I think you, you used to sort of cut the party a little more slack. Where are you now in the wake of Google? Has this changed anything for you? Well, you know, I, I mean, my position hardening has probably got a lot to do with my own website being blocked. Um, you know, that's very, it's, a, it's a daily reminder uh, of, of uh, an unpleasant fact of life in China, which is that, you know, information is not free here. Um, but um, I, I find it very difficult to find any kind of rationalization for the extreme control of the media and the Internet that still exists in, in China, right. myself. But... If the Chinese people don't want that to change, it's not going to change. And my take is that the the people who are against internet censorship and other media controls in China is still a tiny minority. The the the, the pro proverbial man on the street doesn't seem to care. And if that doesn't change, I don't think anything will change. But to to your point earlier, um, I think that there may be more people now who are aware that there is censorship. Yes, yeah, whether that whether or not that changes opinions. Um, but again, it's not it really. That's a tough question. Where um, you know, I have my beliefs. It's not. I'm, I'm an outsider. It's not in my position. I'm, I'm a guest in this country. It's not. No matter what I say, it doesn't matter. It's not going to change anything. And it's really not. You know, I don't want to come off as a preachy American. Right. But you, you know, are think, in a position. I mean, no, but I'm in a position to say that I think if you look at the issue from the perspective of the Communist Party and the way that they built the party and took power in China. Ideological work, information control is paramount, and it's one of the one of the core pillars of the party and how they rose to power and how they've kept power. So, from the perspective of the party and all the the right, you know, the theoretical writings they do, I mean, you can read a lot of stuff is published online. You can read it, and I actually have read some of it, even though my my brain gets a little numb sometimes. You know, they they believe very very deeply in the in the necessity to you know, control information. Obviously, now the, the new term, I guess, is called uh, guiding public guiding opinion. Guiding public opinion, right. right? And, and I, for that, in that, in that case, I think one of the best places to read about this is actually the China Media Project run out of uh, yeah, Hong Kong University. Yeah, David Mandersky, a big, yeah, David yeah, big fan of him. is, is great, one of the great, smartest great observers what's going on in China. Great so he has a question then. Um, I think that's true. You know, the, the, the founding uh, principles, the founding uh, operational methods of the Communist Party are very much uh, include information control. Do you think it's something actually deeper in Chinese culture itself? Because, I mean, the apocryphal story about uh, Qin Shi Huang, the first emperor of China, one of his first acts on upon unifying the country was to burn the books, burn and, bury the books the and bury the scholars, right? Is this something that's actually very Chinese, that information control is a part of Chinese culture? It's not just the communists. I think it's just common to all pre-modern societies. Right. I mean, you look at Tang Dynasty, not, not the band that Kaiser founded, but the actual dynasty. Or that. Uh -huh. um, they actually were fairly open with information, weren't they? Right, whereas the band actually was very, very you know, restrictive. Um, I, I, that's a question for me. I mean, I, I, I certainly have seen some, some scholars who would argue that. Um, I go back to 
uh, I think most people would prefer, individually would prefer to be able to access whatever information they want. And if they don't know that they're missing something, then, they don't, then they're not unhappy. Right. But of course... Freedom isn't free. I mean, you know, if they would prefer, but they're not prepared to do anything about it, nothing is going to change, which, right. I mean, comes back to my point that if Chinese people don't want this to change, it's not going to change. But one of the things, I mean, back to the original discussion of things like the Deng Yujiao case, I think, you know, the, the, the Chinese government has um, obviously been very, very adept at adapting and staying in power. And I think one of the things that's been going on on the Internet, you know, it seems like they realized fairly late the potential the destabilizing potential of the internet and the, and, the, and the free flow of information. If you look over the last 18 months, I think we'd all say that there's been a fairly noticeable pulling back in of uh, or, or increasing of control over the internet and over websites and over censorship. And I think, you know, stuff like the Deng Yijia case, allowing internet opinion to sort of influence actions, as far as I know, they've influenced things at the margins. They've, they've influenced or caused problems for officials who are really actually nobody really cared about. They were right. the guys. It hasn't actually done anything at the core to I'm, make I'm any very much of two minds of it. I mean, if you look at the agenda of the, CC, of, of the uh, CPPCC and, and the NPC just, you know, in, earlier this month, it seems like it was cribbed entirely off of BBSs. It seems like it was cribbed entirely off of, of discussion that was happening online. I'm of two minds. Well, first of all, you know, Deng Yijiao is not by any means the only case. We've no, no, seen, I know. We, we've I know. gone every I – mean, rarely, really – I mean, honestly, rarely does a week go by where mm-hmm. we don't see a major uh, sort of internet public opinion-driven well, campaign. It's had, it had the power of turning or, or regional media. stories. I mean, the, big, the big story right now is the vaccine Exactly, the vaccine thing. How right? it's not no now, longer – The dead babies the in Shandong and... or – I mean, it, it, you'll see this happens now with every uh, – every, everything that happens – Anywhere in China that has the power to make people feel indignant, indignant about it. Uh, is this, though, taken or was it given? Was, is this something that the, the Chinese Communist Party has sort of cynically allowed to happen as a, as a release of pressure? Or do you think this is something that uh, by just sort of the will of the people was taken, you know, was, was staked out? I think actually popularly? it was it – was the party didn't understand the power of the internet. And so people took took this space because no one was watching. And now that the government has started watching, they've really started to, to I think, take a very sophisticated approach to information management online. Again, I'm not, don't send me nasty emails saying I support this. I'm just trying to explain how the party may be looking at these issues. But I think, so I think that now the way this whole this whole concept of guiding public opinion, I think actually is, part of it is deeply rooted in trying to figure out how to let off steam while at the same time, you know, if you think of it as an engine, you can let off steam on the sides, but you're actually hardening the core. And I think you, you can see this sort of hardening of the, the, the basic concepts or basic attitudes toward con- towards control in China while on the margins they let stuff happen. And, mm. and that, you know, that, that to me is, is when you talk about how does the Internet, you know, what has it done to affect China and has it moved it closer to more of an open place – and, you know, was Google's presence here good? I mean, you look at the last 18 months, it seems like things have gotten tighter, even though Google was getting bigger. Yeah, I also, I mean, w- one thing maybe we should say, especially for people who don't live in China and aren't really familiar with the changes of the last 10 years. Uh, just about 10 years ago, I was working for Bill's friend, uh, Hong Huang, uh, mm-hmm. on a magazine, and uh, it's a Chinese magazine. And we were censored uh, by our, the Chinese partner who was... Um, responsible for the content uh, and could get into trouble if we did things wrong. For one article, the headline of it, it was about games, internet games, and, and the, the, the headline was uh, based on a Chinese proverb, a Chengyu, about how people have played games since, since ancient times. And she said, look, we can't have that because we're not playing games, we're building socialism. 
you don't see that kind of censorship <laughs> anymore in the media or on the internet. So, you know, uh, one, although the last 18 months, the last, particularly the last nine, 10 months have been pretty horrible in terms of, uh, you know, the tightening, you know, icy hand of the party around the neck of everyone who writes on the internet. If you go back 10 years, uh, well, it's it dramatically feel, improved. Yeah. It's dramatically improved. And, and I think it was on a clear trajectory um, as of the end of 2007, but it seems to have been pretty badly derailed. Was this, I mean, a deliberate uh, a move to, to adopt a different, more strict control? Or was this sort of response to a series of ad hoc ad hoc responses to a series of crises? I think the crises accelerated what what would be a tendency within sort of the, the more security focused elements in the party to try and rein in and sort of bring 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 more uh, bring back more of the sort of control over ideological work. And then, of course, '08 you had you had the 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 Tibet, right. you had the Olympics, right. you had the earthquake. Um, I mean, it was a pretty it was a pretty difficult year, and I think you know. Let's be honest, right? The the IOC is you know the Chinese government has a lot to thank the IOC for because the Inter Olympics, actually, you know, the great irony of ironies, I think, contributed to a pretty significant hardware and software upgrade of the security services. Here. Absolutely, and you know, of course, like any government or security service anywhere in the world, once you get new stuff, you're not going to stop using it. What's your, your best guess as to what's coming next? Well, first of all, I mean, do you think that, that – has anything surprised you in the government's response to this whole Le Faire Google surprised you? Have, has it been harder or, or less harsh than, than you had expected? I don't really know how to answer that. I mean, I, th I, I think they were kind of uh, uh, amazed that this happened at the time. Yeah, and very the much on their back foot about They this. were on the back yeah. foot. It was, mm -hmm. was pretty slow for that reason. But you know, I, I was pretty amazed too. I mean, it's—I I don't know of another a single other foreign no, company who's done no, something I'm, like this. Nothing so. like this. This is unprecedented. Uh, absolutely, I can't think of a single parallel either. Right. I mean, I think I think that plus there are. It's it's such a big issue. There are lots of ministries involved. So I think I think they must have some a bunch of really interesting meetings where they all sort of looked around the table and tried to figure out, you know, what do we do because it's obviously such a sensitive topic. I, I think at the end of the day, I mean, most of the people I know who've worked in the internet in China. Uh, uh, Chinese and foreigners, I don't think anyone was surprised at the outcome because, I mean, I just don't think there was any chance that the Chinese government was going to change its laws for Google. What's what, been the visible part of the actual, I mean, aside from allowing the the, uh, the sort of Xinhua editorial line to run rampant and tend to rein in any discussion about Google, it's positive, uh, takes Google's perspective in this in the Chinese media. Have they actually done anything in response? I mean, it doesn't seem that they've uh, I mean, we're, we're still not sure how to interpret what happened 24 hours ago, but what's what's going on in terms of actual responses, policy responses to Google? I've only seen statements in the press, nothing. I mean, if you look at what the, the foreign ministry spokesperson said, I thought it was pretty mild. The Chinese, I think, took the high road. They just said, we, you know, Google's welcome if they abide by our laws. And <laughs> Insofar as there's a high road to be taken. Right, exactly. I mean, but but my point, I think I think the Chinese government actually was pretty pretty restrained um, and sort of, you know, I think sort of let Google twist for nine weeks. And, and Google, I think, was surprised at the fact that they basically just kept walking into a wall. And so now, you know, we've seen a some, somewhat of a vilification campaign in the press, although it's, it's not nearly as shrill as other vilification campaigns have been. Yeah. And so I it's actually, it it's actually I know people in the, who aren't used to looking at some of this Chinese propaganda uh, statements were pretty shocked. I think actually 
it was it was on the probably if on a one to ten scale it was probably like a six. Yeah, oh, totally wrong. Yeah, Chris isn't, Patton isn't was an right? eleven, right? But this yeah, was yeah, a, this was this was relatively restrained. It was pretty bad, but it was relatively. Yeah, restrained. totally wrong is is much milder than devils and prostitutes exactly. for a thousand yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Dalai Lama. Or, yeah. uh, but I think you know now now that they've they've left and the, you know at least Google insinuated or inferred that that or hinted that this was actually a compromised decision. It's been a week. I think you know things move slowly in the Chinese government, and there are lots of people, you know, lots of groups and ministries that have to coordinate. I think what happens now, I would be shocked if it's sort of everybody's happily looking across, you know, the border in Hong Kong, and everything goes forward as planned, except for Google search being out of China. I would expect other things to be done to Google's business in China over the next few months. Prognostications, Jeremy. I think it's not going to be easy for Google to make any money in China over the next year or two. I, I think they're going to find, you know, particularly with large state-owned organizations, the telecom operators and stuff, I, I think they're going to find uh, a lot of closed doors in their faces that uh, yeah, used absolutely. to be open. Yeah, right. Um, they're, they're now poison. Yeah, yeah I, I, don't, I don't see any sort of really aggressive moves on the part of the Chinese state to try and crunch them or shut them out. But, you know, you just have to ignore them and give them a frosty response and not open certain deals to them. And, Jeremy's uh, exactly, I think, I think that's exactly right. I'm yeah, not saying, I, you know, I, I, I think, think the Chinese government's going to crack down. I just mm. think they're going to, there's lots of things that can happen in the background that we'll never know about that you can't actually say, oh, this was a government mandate. But like you said, all of a sudden, advertisers have to leave, partnerships dry up. That stuff is always just, the case here, right? Right. I mean, and you, all, you sort of know what happened, but you don't know what happened and you can't prove it. And some of the time, it's not even, um, you know, it really isn't the government. And I mean, you can you can see this kind of effect even in the expatriate business community. I mean, I was sort of disinvited from a, a foreign chamber of commerce panel discussion shortly after my website was blocked because one of the <laughs> panelists alleged that I was too political. Um, you know, business people in China are very averse to politics. And I can see that, you know, it may not even have anything to do with the government, but there they, they, they may be companies who just decide they don't want anything to do with the troublemaker. Which, which, which is, you know, from a business perspective, you can, you know, One can understand. It's very sure. understandable. Well, anyway, I am very eager to move on next week to a new batch of topics. Hopefully nothing will blow up in, in the next week and we can actually talk about a, a couple of topics that are wholly unrelated to Google. Imagine that. So anyway, thanks for listening, and uh, I hope you enjoyed this first installment of the Seneca podcast. Uh, again, I'd like to thank David Lancashire and uh, popupchinese.com. Uh, .com. Popupchinese.com. Check it out. Check out their Firefox uh, browser plugin. Totally terrific. If you're a learner of Mandarin, they've got all sorts of nifty tools if you're learning Chinese. Thanks to Bill Bishop and to Jeremy Goldcorn for joining me, and uh, we'll see you again next week. Thanks. Thanks.